The beach was beautiful at this time of year. The sun was shining and the waves lapped against the shore as Mrs. McGonagall lay down, reading a book. But just a few metres away, in the gorse bush, a killer approached her next victim, walking through the salty droplets and feeling indestructible. She was hungry for aphids, so very hungry. everyone and welcome to episode 32 of hidden wings and bloodlust i'm your host rachel i hope everyone's doing well so this week my friends at crookcast either have or will have very shortly a new episode up where i co-hosted it and it was a lot of fun and they even made a new animated video to go with my promo and theme song for the show which is on twitter and it was a lot of fun and i really appreciate their support so, without further ado, here's a promo for their show. Hey Karina, do you want to hear an interesting new fact about sloths? Impossible, Cassie. I know all there is to know about sloths. They spend their whole lives eating and sleeping, and that's living the dream in my book. I bet you don't know this fact. Fine, surprise me. Sloths are surprisingly fast and skilled swimmers. They can move three times faster in water than they ever can on land. Suddenly, I love them even more. Where can I possibly learn more exciting and interesting facts about sloths? Well, we did do an entire episode on sloths for CritterCast. Right! CritterCast, our comedic animal-themed podcast. It's the show where we talk about all kinds of animals and why we love them. We upload new episodes twice a month on every second and fourth Sunday. Just in time for your Monday morning commute. You can find CritterCast on iTunes, Spotify, and many other podcast streaming apps. Plus, check out our website, CritterCastPodcast.com, for links to all of our social media and for more fun facts and adorable photos of critters big and small. CritterCast Podcast. Now, today, I'm afraid I do actually have to go on a bit of a rant before we get to this week's Ladybird. On social media, there have been a lot of references to people killing insects, and let's be honest, quite unnecessarily. There's one example of a particular beekeeper who actually filmed himself killing a queen wasp that was scraping wood for a nest and he boasted about killing 40 queen wasps in these last few days. And there was another post where Ryan Dalton, who's one of the other nature podcasters and he runs Into the Wild, and he was talking about how someone he's just met hates having insects in their garden and he just sprays stuff to get rid of them. And there was a post I saw on Facebook where someone had posted a picture of a group of 16 spots and someone said, ooh, that's the breed that are wiping out our native kind or something like that. And it's not the first time that uh, 
that people have talked about killing ladybirds. I mean, a few months ago, in one of these sort of organic gardening type groups, someone posted a picture of a cream spot ladybird, which is a brown ladybird with white spots, usually sort of found on hawthorn bushes and, and so on, in one of these gardening Facebook groups. And just comment after comment was telling the person to kill it because it was allegedly a harlequin. Even though this is actually, if you read the sort of studies, this is actually one of the species that have been threatened to some extent by the rise of the harlequin ladybird. Pretty much every time insects, ladybirds, wasps, anything like that comes up, you always get sort of some sort of comment talking about killing insects. And I mean, I've heard people saying, oh, you should you should kill a 22 spot because it's yellow. So therefore it's poisonous. Well, First of all, it only eats fungi, so it's not going to harm you. And it's actually a good thing to have in your garden because it will get rid of the mildew. And secondly, maybe it is slightly poisonous, but to be affected by the poison, you've got to actually eat a huge number of 22 spots, probably just around a thousand. So so what's the point? Just, just leave it alone. Just chill. And I think most of my listeners will be aware that we're in a biodiversity decline emergency and a huge number of insects, in fact billions, have died due to climate change, habitat destruction, pollution and so on. And insects do actually provide a lot of food for amphibians and birds. And over the last 20 years, according to the RSPB, we've lost something like 40 million birds from the UK. And it's just like, what kind of life are you living? If you see something you don't recognise, like an insect you've never seen, and your response is just like thinking, I'm going to kill it. And even if it's something like wasp, and you don't like wasps, well, I don't really like wasps either. This morning I had to actually get rid of a wasp from my room when I was working. But don't kill it, because it's either going to be food for something else, like a bird, or even another kind of wasp. So just just forget it. Just, Just don't kill it. And again, like whether you believe in God, whether you believe in fate or the universe or karma or like just the fact all these things evolved. But the fact is, whatever you believe, they're all there for a reason, whether God put them there or whether he didn't. Or no matter what you think the reason is, they all serve some sort of purpose and they're just going about their day. And 90 percent of the time, there's absolutely no need to kill an insect. And, you know, I'm a religious person, so I sort of look at these and i think they're all basically god's creatures but if you don't believe in god like it's nothing to do with religion if you look at the scientific studies surrounding the decline of insects and the depletion of nature the loss of birds and so on you'll know that killing any insects without a good reason for it is not really a great thing to do so i mean obviously i'm not talking about things like cockroaches and things in your house or if it's actually in your house and disturbing your quality of life, that's a different thing. But just as a general rule, there's a lot more research being done now that shows that some insects are aware of their surroundings. Some of them exhibit behaviour such as caring for their young. There's some evidence saying that a few of them might feel pain. But, you know, above all, it's a creature that's just causing no harm and it's just trying to go about its business like the same as you are. So with that in mind, sorry for the long rant, If you're ready, then let's get started with today's ladybird. The 11 spot, Coccinella undecimpunctata. So this ladybird is actually pretty famous, because especially if you're above a certain age, you've probably seen it. 
And you've probably seen it quite a few times, at least when you were a child. And the reason for that is because a stylized version of this ladybird actually forms the logo for the cover of Ladybird Books. Every Ladybird book features quite prominently a 11 spot ladybird in the sort of top right hand corner of it. And it's not really known why this ladybird was chosen, but it's said that one of the sort of main instigators behind the company visited the Natural History Museum, viewed various ladybirds and was very much taken with the spot pattern. And the ladybird has actually inspired various other designs and looking at it, as it's so pretty, it's not really difficult to see why. So although the ladybird is in the Coxinella genus, it's a lot less round and more oval shaped than a seven spot or a five spot. It's four to five millimetres long. It can be slightly bigger sometimes. I've seen quoted up to seven millimetres long, but generally around four or five. So it's a little bit smaller than some of the other Coxinella ladybirds. The background colour of the elytra is red and the most common form has 11 spots in upturned rows. The rows of spots actually look like a smile and sometimes the spots have got yellow rings around them, sort of similar to the eyed ladybird. There is a scutellary spot where the two elytra meet at the top of the ladybird, sort of by the pronotum. The pronotum is black and it's got the same white marks either side and at the front near its head, sometimes known as false eyes, as other ladybirds in the same genus like the seven spot or the five spot. And like these other two, it's got black legs and a black underside. And it's also got black maxillary palps as well, which are sort of part of its mouth parts. So sometimes there are fewer than 11 spots on the 11 spot ladybird. Quite confusingly, there can be seven spots on some ladybirds or nine spots. Sometimes the spots can be merged horizontally forming short stripes or splodges on each side of the ladybird. The 11 spot is sometimes confused with the Adonis ladybird owing to its similar oval shape, fast way of running and similar habitat. They both prefer dry and often sandy habitats and are often found alongside each other. However, the Adonis ladybird usually has around seven spots which are at the base of the elytra and look like they're slipping off the ladybird. According to Helen Roy's book, it also has a very distinctive pattern of black and white undulating edges on the pronotum, whereas the 11 spots have got these white patches on either side and the front eye-like markings that I've just described. According to Helen Roy, quote, the late instar larva closely resembles a seven-spot ladybird larva, but smaller and without the conspicuous orange lateral patches on the first thoracic segment, so the sort of first part of the thorax from the from the head. The abdomen has got orange spots in pairs on a grey black background. The pupa has got a black front section but it's otherwise cream with two black bands going down the centre of the pupa and orange patches near the middle of it and at the front near its head. The ladybird is mainly found in coastal habitats particularly when you get further north in southern parts of the UK, it can be found in land, although again, in dry, sandy and coastal areas. So you can also find it in grasslands, in stone quarries and wastelands where vegetation is sparse, 
although it's sometimes also found in gardens and woodlands. The ladybird is found across Europe and Asia, as well as North Africa and the Middle East, including countries such as Israel and Palestine, Egypt, Iran, Morocco and so on. It's also been introduced into the US, Australia and New Zealand to control pests such as aphids. It likes herbaceous vegetation and sand dunes or inland areas with sandy soil. And according to Helen Roy's book, Field Guide to the Ladybirds of Great Britain and Ireland, quote, it is commonly associated with sea radish, nettle, gorse, rose bay willow herb and thistles. It can feed on aphids in salty areas such as salt marshes and sand dunes, and it's also salt resistant, enabling it to live in these coastal areas near the sea without any ill effects. Helen Roy's book suggests searching gorse bushes for this ladybird in scrubby or dune areas. Occasionally, the ladybird has been found on deciduous trees such as ash, beech, sycamore and oak, and it's also been known to overwinter in pine trees and cedar trees in New Zealand. There are up to two generations of this ladybird every year. They might breed twice a year. But according to Helen Roy again, the 11-spot ladybird commonly spends the winter in leaf litter and often in buildings. And indeed, there's been more than a few occasions where some people have posted on Facebook about finding 11-spot ladybirds in their kitchen around about October. Something that's never happened to me, unfortunately. I've never seen one. But if you have, I'd like to hear from you because I really like hearing about it. Unfortunately, the number of 11-spot ladybirds has been declining. And it's thought that one factor in its decline is that the eggs and larvae have been preyed upon by the harlequin ladybird owing to the smaller body weight of the 11-spot ladybird and the more aggressive behaviour of the harlequin ladybird larvae. In a Spanish study, it was also found that when the harlequin ladybird larva becomes a pupa, it gives off much more sort of sudden movements when it's disturbed and can move its body a lot more, whereas the 11-spot seldom makes any alarm responses as a pupa, even when it's attacked. So it's a lot more sort of immobile as a pupa. The eggs were found to be the most vulnerable to being eaten by the harlequin ladybird larvae. And if you take more natural predators... The ladybirds can also be eaten by birds such as sparrows and they can also be affected by parasites such as the parasitic wasp Dinocampus coccinellae. And if you go back to the episode on ladybird diseases, episode 25, it's been estimated that in New Zealand, during some particularly wet winters, the fungus Bovaria bassigana can kill around 50 to 90% of these ladybirds. And if you don't know what that is, go to episode 25 and uh, it is a bit of a content warning. It's quite a grim fungus. But in case you think it's just the harlequin ladybird, birds and fungi causing problems to the 11 spot, it's also severely affected by pesticides, which reduce its habitat, its life expectancy, and number of aphids it can eat. According to a Pakistani study, one of the most used pesticides called Profenophos resulted in a mortality rate of around 87% of the 11-spot ladybirds who came into contact with it. Some insecticides, such as Acetimiprid, are quite long-lasting. And when the 11-spots came into contact with these leaves that had been sprayed with this pesticide... 
24 hours after it had been sprayed, 20% of those 11 spot ladybirds died. And another reason the ladybird is threatened is due to destruction of coastal and estuary habitats, such as salt marshes and environmental degradation in these habitats. So, I mean, to get back to a more positive topic, the 11 spot is resistant to salt and it eats aphids associated with salty areas and with marshes. And it's been used as a biological control against aphids in soybean crops and okra crops. And it was actually specifically introduced to Australia and New Zealand to control aphids on cucumber plants. Some of the more troublesome aphids that the 11 spot ladybird eats include the melon and cotton aphid, the green peach aphid and the black bean aphid, among others. And in a forthcoming episode on the steel blue ladybird, we'll discuss ladybirds in New Zealand in more depth, as it's quite an interesting story, because prior to the introduction of the steel blue ladybird and the 11 spot and you know the others, there actually weren't any ladybirds there like prior to that. And interestingly, in one Egyptian study, a selection of 11 spot ladybirds had their diets enriched with honeybee products such as royal jelly, and it was found that the ladybird's fertility was highest when they were fed on a mixture of aphids and these honeybee products, as opposed to either aphids alone or bee products alone. So they like a sort of varied diet, and although they prefer aphids, these ladybirds can eat thrips and scale insects. So I really hope you've enjoyed this episode and if you've ever read ladybird books or seen a ladybird book, now you actually know a lot more behind the ladybird, behind the logo. And I've actually got an interview coming out with the creator of the Ladybird Fly Away Home website, Helen Day, which is all on ladybird books. And I'm really looking forward to releasing that interview as it was such a fascinating deep dive into everything related to the history of the company. And I hope that if you're on the coast or anywhere dry or sandy anytime soon, you look out for this ladybird. And if you see one, then please let me know. If you like this show and want to support me, you can buy me a coffee at Ko-fi. The address is www.co-fi.com slash HWAB podcast. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like my Facebook page www.facebook.com slash hidden wings and bloodlust or follow me on twitter at hwab podcast or on instagram at 365.ladybird music is by deborah torrance thanks so much for listening and goodbye for now